Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Anchor FM. Anchor is the easiest way to start your own podcast. You can create and distribute your podcast across all the major podcasting hosting stations, okay? And it's absolutely free. So if you've ever thought about hosting a podcast, now's your opportunity to do so. Jump on Anchor FM and start podcasting today. We're also brought to you by our friends at Vulorium. It is the fastest growing live streaming platform on the planet. Thousands of titles. You can watch it on any device. It's got no upfront costs, no credit card fees. It's free to watch. You can watch it on the toilet while you're on your mobile phone, at the office instead of doing your paperwork, maybe on your tablet while you're waiting for the airplane to take off. Right, but Vulorium has thousands and thousands of titles for you to access instantly. So jump onto Vulorium.com today all right, and start watching. Today on the Remedia Podcast, I'm joined by Malmo Brewing Co.'s head brewer and social media guy, Thomas Franson. We had a great chat about the alcohol industry, the brewing industry, from creation to consumption, and how it works within Sweden, and the opportunities for growth in the future. So please make him welcome, Thomas Franson. Thomas, thank you very much for yes. joining Remedia this morning. Thank That's you. Greatly thank appreciate you the opportunity to talk to to yourself uh, about um, Malmo Brewing Co. is um, is very exciting for me because I think it's one of the most uh, successful entrepreneurial um, businesses to come out of Malmo in in the last decade or so, uh, and I and I feel that because of the, the obviously the, the government restraints around the industry that you're in. Sure, yeah. And um, yeah, I'd like to start off just by asking you, you know, do you like beer? Oh yes, I, I fell in love with beer and uh, I've been living and breathing beer since five, no more than uh, 15 years almost. So yeah, it's been a part of my, my life for a long time. When did you make your first brew? Oh, it was um, around 2006, uh, I think. So, um, Do you remember what it was? And that was, yeah, I think it was um, Red Ale. Nice, nice. Uh, one of those um, simple kitten kilos, mm. and some malt extract and a couple of kilos of sugar. <laughs> Didn't turn out very well, but um, kept me kept me going. And how did you do it? Did you start off just in the garage? Yeah, pretty much in my uh, apartment kitchen. So um, uh, I was living alone at that time, so there were no problem having uh, tons and tons of uh, fermentation buckets standing around, and bottles and cakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, and then, so you you made the first, you made your first brew, and then at what point do you actually think that you got it right? Um, I mean. Um, um, I think it was about batch five or six or so that I um, switched from uh, from extract and uh, did uh, all the malt grain, uh, grain, yeah, all grain yep. beers, and uh, that was a sick, uh, jump in beer quality for me. So, and that spurred me on even even more. So, uh, I think around, yeah. Christmas of uh, 2006 or 2006. Yeah. yeah. 
Do you find that a lot of people that try to get into the home brew, they stop too early? They'll do one or two really bad batches or, yeah. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think that's um, a good thing. If, if uh, one of the early batches turns out decent, that will uh, motivate you to, to stay, uh, stay within the hobby. But also, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's uh, not the simplest hobby you could, uh, you could have. There's a lot of cleaning and uh, and more cleaning and uh, then some cleaning and, and uh, working sanitary and all that. So it's yeah. it's not for everyone. No, I remember my father actually. He did a couple of batches himself. Uh, probably probably around the same, maybe two thousand and three, two thousand and four. And then uh, okay. yeah. I think he put out about maybe a hundred bottles, and that was it. That was it. Ah. Yeah, he opened he opened the first one and and. Um, he couldn't consume it, but then he couldn't couldn't bring himself to pour it out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know if he still got it, but it's uh, yeah, that's, there's it's definitely like your own farts. Yeah, there's definitely an like art that. form in it. There's definitely an art form. How did oh, you that's... how did you come up with the idea for Malmo Brewing Co? Oh um, well, just to to clarify things, I'm. Um... I'm not the owner of the uh, company. I just uh, I was there since the um, early uh, stages. We open up uh, officially November twentieth, uh, two thousand ten, and I was there from August that same year. So uh, I've been uh, running the brewery yeah. and uh, doing the social. All that. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean. Uh, Anders, who's the owner of the brewery, he, he's been uh, beer crazy for uh, a long time. He started up uh, his own private label, uh, having beer contract brewed, and he did. Uh, he was an artist earlier, so he did uh, these kind of pop uh, pop art comic um, uh, figures, and yeah. he made those into beer labels. And that label was was called uh, Andy Beer Son. Okay, um, cool. So. When he got that thing going, uh, but that was many years ago. The uh, uh, he just felt that he wanted a brewery of, of his own, uh, so he um, bought this old building uh, that you've been to. It's located, I mean, fairly in the middle of the of the city in Malmo. Yeah, it is a great location. Uh, and it used to be uh, just a, an abandoned. So uh, Anders and his family, they bought the building because, uh, and uh, talked the, uh, the city uh, into keeping it there because it was uh, going to be knocked down. But they managed to, to buy it from the city and uh, slowly started to uh, renovate uh, everything like floor by floor yeah. uh, and uh, just, you know, trying to bring in uh, some business to the uh, company. Uh, in order to finance uh, the brewery, yeah. So it's been a long journey for for him. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. And I mean, obviously, it's long enough in any startup, let alone one that is in the alcohol business, mm-hmm. because in Sweden, for most people that don't know, it's centralized. It's controlled by the state. Um, you know, so it's very difficult to actually uh, make that transition into creating a a vineyard or a brewery or a distillery. Um, things are changing nowadays. Um, what are your thoughts on 
the process of actually trying to create a business in this industry? I am. Um... When we started back in 2010, uh, we had to do a lot of education to the city, uh, the people that were uh, dealing with the permits and all that. Um, of course, we tried to talk to our colleagues around Sweden, but uh, since we were one of the only brew pubs in Sweden, there weren't that much to go on. Uh, there were no... Uh, cases before with different permits and how they should be set up in contrast to production breweries. Um, so we had to do a lot of education and, and uh, reading uh, the law books and, and uh, try to educate the, uh, uh, the city. Mm -hmm. um, since then, I mean, I think it's, yeah, it's starting to lose now a bit and um, the, the the people handling uh, permits in some cases they're you know getting more used to dealing with the smaller producers so I, th I think it's getting a, a bit easier uh, and now there is even a talk about uh, doing this new investigation to allow sales on premises uh, yeah. which I think is is uh, fascinating well that was what I was going to ask you because that's a huge change from the culture Emma and correct me if I'm wrong but I do believe that is only in southern Sweden? Is that correct? Uh, maybe. I mean, it's it's been uh, suggested earlier, uh, a couple of years ago, that uh, our region or province, uh, Skåne, Skania, is going to be uh, like a trial yeah. Uh, region. Yeah. Uh, to me, that makes a lot of sense because even if Sweden's a pretty small country, there's still great differences um, depending on on where you live. Mm -hmm. uh, like the uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, and uh, Germany in our region, uh, where people go uh, during the weekends um, buy super cheap beer, wine, spirits, what yeah. have you. Uh, they don't have the same problem or the competition up north in, in uh, Sweden. So yeah. we're dealing with a different kind of competition yeah. uh, here. Yeah, because my wife um, went to a winery the other, the other week. Um, and they could try wines, but they couldn't buy them at the cellar door. Yeah, um, no, that's um, that's crazy. It is insane. So, I mean, that's it's obviously a growing it's obviously a growing industry. You know, looking at the you know distilleries and the and the breweries and so. But to have people walk in, try your product, want to purchase, and not be able to, I mean, that's not going to entice people to want to get into that market space. No, no, it's um, then you're, you're relying on um, uh, the government-controlled monopoly and uh, maybe a couple of restaurants, which is very uncertain these days because uh, trends are moving so fast. And um, if you want to sell uh, your beer to uh, the monopoly, you have to be ready to make uh, big volumes and uh, be competitive at price and all that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, what stage do you feel um, Malmo Brewing Co. is at? And what I mean by that is... I think is, we... Uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, at what stage? I think... I mean, um, we've been powering through a lot of um, uh, like permits and dealing with a lot of that. And uh, we also 
been uh, working and running a second location uh, in Malmö for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. That second location is now uh, 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 moved out from there and now we're just going to focus on uh, on our uh, original location. So yep. what I'm seeing here, we, um, we definitely have plans to uh, make more beer uh, come out of the house in kegs. Yep. And uh, we're also, um, we just ordered uh, one of those crawler fillers uh, or a crawler seamer. Yep. And uh, for the uh, the people that don't know what a crawler is, it's basically a, a giant one liter beer can and you fill it uh, from a tap and then uh, we seal it and it looks like a regular beer can. Yeah. And you can bring beer with you from, from our place uh, un, uh, up to 3.5. Uh, alcohol by volume that is yeah 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 i think that's in australia we call that a, a, a tinny <laughs> okay <laughs> so, no we don't drink it by the leader i think north i think the northern territory has a northern territory stubby and i think that that's about i think i think it's 3.5 liters so it's okay um, yeah, yeah but it's a novelty thing it's not something we do on a daily basis but uh, i think that's i think it's a fantastic idea uh Obviously, I mean, coming from Australia, 3.5% low-carb beer is the highest drunk beer. It's a brand called Forex out of Queensland. Um, th there's been a massive swing towards the lower alcohol level, away from the traditional 4.9 or the 5.1. Um, yeah. Have you found that despite there being a limitation on, on the alcohol um, level, has that put any... Any restraints on business in terms of is it is there you could you be selling more at a higher about higher alcohol volume or is it purely down to the actual taste and the quality of the beer? I think uh, there's still a lot of people um, that do not want to pay. I mean the the price is the same. There's a we try to keep our three three point five beer as uh, reasonably priced as possible yeah. and uh, we do all we can like uh, our regular beers normal strength beer are served in uh, a pint size uh, or um, uh, sorry uh, 0.4 liters yes and yeah. the uh, 3.5 beers are always served in a nonic pint or a imperial pint so 0.564 liters and uh, uh, lower price and all that so yeah but People coming in and sitting down in our tap room are, in general, not drinking the 3.5 beers. Mm. Uh, I think that's a small percentage. But uh, for takeaway, there's a lot of people that uh, really appreciate the ability to, to take away beer. Is, um, is, have you, is Stout, do you find Stout still a big seller? Stout? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Because I, I, It's I, coming along... Uh, yeah, sorry, go for it. Yeah, sure. It's, uh, yes, Stout, it's, uh, I mean, there's always going to be people that uh, are into those uh, Stouts and Porters, the, the dark beers, mm. uh, me being one of them. And uh, I think that it's just a certain uh, type of, of uh, people. They, um, they just crave that uh, pretty much like there's uh, coffee junkies and, and what have you. They, uh, they just... Uh, really like that style. It's not one of our top-selling categories, but uh, 
we always uh, make sure to have at least one or two uh, on tap all the time. Mm. Because that's what that's actually you just touched on why I was asking. Because of the Swedish culture of, of coffee, I'm, I personally have never experienced so many people drinking stout beer here. No, uh, maybe there's a connection there. I never thought about it, but it's uh, it seems uh, logical. Yeah, it could be possible. I, I just yeah. I've never seen stout beer drunk so much. I mean, I spent time in England and Ireland and things like, that, uh, but never never quite like what it is here. I'm I'm always fascinated by what people bring to a barbecue um, in terms of the type of type of beer that they get, um, and the alcohol level too is is always an eye opener for me when you see them at um, at the high fives and things like that. Uh, for me, for me, it's not palatable um, no. when you get that high level of alcohol. Um, but sure. then, obviously, to other people, it is. But it's it amazes me at the variety of beer. Um, Swedes drink, yeah, and um, yeah. and I remember the last time I was in the Malmo Brewing Co. I think I think I could be wrong, but I believe it was about six to eight different beers on tap. And I'm wondering whether that's increased or how many how many beers you do have on tap now. Yeah, um, uh, with just um, five regular beers and. Uh, a sixth uh, rotating. Yeah. Uh, since I think uh, three years ago, we uh, expanded our tap rooms. Now we're doing a total of uh, 42 taps. And out of those 42, a good 16 to 20 are uh, house brewed beers. Wow. So, uh, yeah, there's there's been a lot of uh, uh, changes. Yeah. Do you, do you have um, a situation in the, in the tap room itself where you have a kind of local crew, you know, uh, repeat business, the the guys sort of similar to Cheers in a way that would sit around oh, the yeah. bar every day. Oh yeah, for sure. There's a we have a good uh, local following, and uh, there's been uh, people that uh, have been supporting us since day one. That still comes back not every day, but uh, maybe two or three times a week. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. And what's the most popular age of the nice clients, of your customers? Oh, it's, I mean, we're pretty um, diverse. I think it's, um, we've when we started up, it um, was in general from, I'd say, 30 to 50 yeah. was the, the most dominating uh, group. But now we've seen uh, a decrease uh, in age, so I think it's uh, from eighteen to yeah sixty seventy, but uh, I think it's more fifty uh, fifty. Like if you count like eighty to thirty, yep. and from thirty one up to uh, one hundred, it's uh, I think there's a good fifty uh, fifty. So it's a good mix. Yeah, it's and always it's always good to 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 have that um, that diversification. In your customer. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's definitely good it, to uh, see. Uh, yeah, and has it has it had a good positive effect on on the the restaurant itself upstairs in terms of the meals that come out? Is that a big part of the business as well? Yeah, I mean w- w- that's uh, a thing we've been um, playing around with the. Uh, uh, focus on the food uh, in contrast to the to the beer 
and um, uh, I mean it it goes pretty much in in cycles for some periods of time we have a lot of, of uh, dinner reservations and um, then there's uh, like a slower season and then you know jumps up again uh, it comes and goes the, the restaurant but um, we've been uh, we've been playing more uh, paying more attention to the to the food and the restaurant uh, the past uh, two or three years mm. uh, so that's been that's been good has there been a surgence in the business that reflects the growing trend of the area that you're in? Because you and I both know that 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't the most glamorous area of Malmo. Um, but, no, as, no. but as obviously property prices are rising and more and more people are moving in, yeah, has, it made a, has it made a big difference in business? Yeah, uh, um, for sure. I mean, to start with... Uh, when we uh, opened up our doors in uh, 2010, there weren't a lot of beer people in, uh, in, uh, in Malmo. Uh, there were um, this uh, local uh, beer uh, consumer uh, uh, group called uh, Malta. Yep. Um, so they did a good, a good job of uh, promoting us. But, you know, uh, that was, you know, Mikkeler was getting started. Uh, there was a lot of... Um, just you know, slow. Just the uh, the start of the, the second wave of, of craft beer, mm. uh, I'd say. Uh, so we've definitely seen uh, an increase in uh, in customers and um, uh, and also, like I said, the uh, the age groups is is more uh, diverse now. And uh, yeah, you 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 could uh, definitely see that the the area we're in is changing too. Mm. But still, I mean, it remains uh, uh, an area that's uh, appealing to especially younger people, uh, maybe students and, and uh, up to about 30, 30 years old. Mm. Mm. At what point did you know as a business that you were on the right path? Oh, um, I mean, I think for anyone that starts uh, a brewery uh, or any other small business, I think uh, everything's done and you can open the doors. That's, I think, where when you know that you're on the right path. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, um, it's a strange culture, uh, breweries. It's, um, um, it's very lifestyle-oriented. Uh, so... Most people, uh, most brewers are just, um, you know, if they can make the business go around and they can, uh, you know, sustain their living, uh, that's a successful uh, business, uh, brewery. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that uh, was on a pretty early stage. Uh, there was uh, success. Of course, we have had ups and downs financially. You know, sometimes there's slow sales, and sometimes there's um, you know where we can't keep up with the beer, but that's all part of uh, of the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was my next, my next question was what sort of uh, pitfalls, ups and downs did you experience? Um, well, pitfalls. I'm. I think we've um, we've stayed 
pretty on top of those and try to uh, be uh, mindful of uh, the change in the landscape. Mm. Uh, we started up um, uh, w- uh, with a Swedish name, uh, Malmö Brygghus, and that's uh, Malmö Brewhouse. Uh, mm. And um, with those uh, five uh, year-round beers, which are were pretty, you know, safe. The traditional brew pub set up. We had a Pilsner, uh, Belgian Witz beer, American Pale Ale, an English IPA, and a Porter. Yeah. Um, but uh, I've, I've been traveling a lot uh, for beer in the U.S. and and all around uh, the world, and uh, I always were eager to bring back, uh, see what was going on on the other side of the Atlantic. Uh, so I tried to bring a lot of those things back to, to Malmö Brewing Company uh, before uh, they got to Sweden. So in, in some cases, we were maybe two years ahead of the curve. So we uh, created a new beer and no one understood it. But then two years later, everyone was doing it. Yeah. Um, but in, in general, I think we've... Um, uh, yeah, just get back to, to the name and all that. Uh, we did uh, realize that uh, the craft beer movement wasn't just something that was you know going to blow over in a couple of years. We actually saw that there were more and more people getting into uh, to craft beer and also people starting to travel for craft beer, yeah. like uh, beercations. Um, that. So that's, that's when we decided to... Uh, or we just uh, changed the name to Malmö Brewing Company and uh, we started to tweak our uh, uh, beer lineup and uh, you know, just adjusting to what was going on in the market and uh, what we feel uh, were the right uh, thing to do with the right steps to take. Mm. So I, I think we managed to avoid a lot of those uh, pitfalls of uh, like you see some uh, older traditional breweries, uh, they're not capable of, of changing or uh, evolving as quickly as we are as a yeah. small business. Yeah. So I think uh, a lot of the the older, um, uh, more traditional breweries were struggling for a while uh, before they, you know, could launch uh, new brands or uh, redo their logo and design and come back, you know, with a fresher look and all that. Mm. I think we managed to stay ahead. Is that is that because the the age of the people in charge in Malmo Brewing Co? Do you believe that that's that's a contributing factor? I mean, it's a lot it's a lot easier, I think, for people our age to make those business changes than someone in their sixties. Oh know. yeah, 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 definitely. I I, I think I've been a, a driving factor in that um, part as well. Uh, since I'm I'm so. Um, uh, yeah, I, I keep, keep in contact with colleagues uh, all over the world, and and I just try to to stay um, uh, mindful of what's going on, and mm. uh, try to you know uh, evolve as we go. Mm. Uh, so definitely, uh, I think that's. We were talking earlier about um, beer festivals, and obviously you attended one last week in Copenhagen. Yeah. Other than face to face and and being in the states and working with other, um, you know, collaborating with other breweries, do you do 
much in the way of uh, advertising for the business? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, we don't advertise in um, uh, print necessarily. Uh, what we rely on is, uh, yeah, like you said, um, uh, going to festivals, pouring our beers there and uh, collaborating uh, with brewers. Uh, if we're traveling somewhere, we try to uh, make a collaboration beer with uh, the local breweries if we have friends there. Mm-hmm. That makes our brand, you know, stay in a location and uh, get uh, some attention from uh, local people there. Yeah. Uh, other than that, we just rely on social media like uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube. Uh, yeah. Try to to project our story, the people behind the the beer and uh, and all that. Mm. So you use. Our marketing strategy. Yeah, no, you use, so you use obviously the, the two big ones, Instagram, Facebook, mm-hmm. and the interesting one for me then was YouTube. So you, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, I um, I have this weird uh, hobby of mine of, of doing a video. Uh, it's not been a major success our YouTube uh, channel, and I haven't, you know, I should have been. Uh, uh, more active on, on uh, doing videos and all that. Um, during the years, as we've grown more and more busy, there's usually less and less time to um, to bring out uh, the video camera and and edit videos and all that. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's it's been helpful. I think uh, stuff like that uh, conveys a, a more uh, true image of of a, of a company. If uh, uh, it's not uh, like I, I did corporate videos. It's uh, video from a, an event and the way we edit the uh, the video, the kind of music we we play with a with a video and all that. It, I think it, it extends the personality to some degree, and and you can't really get that uh, uh, with just uh, an image. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Is it more documenting rather than creating? You feel? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think uh, at least uh, 60% documenting, uh, documenting and, and uh, 40% uh, creating and, and just uh, being a bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, because obviously documenting, one of the fastest things growing at the moment is documenting journeys. I mean, lots of businesses get advice that they should actually be documenting what happens behind the scenes. And it's yeah. kind of odd but I mean Ricky Gervais's office he, he, you know is what 15 years old and it and it kind of sets what businesses successful businesses are now doing they're starting to they're starting to break down the barrier of who's behind you know who's behind the bar in your in your case or behind the or behind the uh, you know, the brewing of the beer and bottling of the beer and that process, and they're breaking it down so it becomes more personal, and uh, yes. and that that in itself becomes more palatable uh, for for the consumer. Have you thought exactly. about actually paying for advertising? You know, paying social media uh, advertising to promote those videos or to promote you know ads that you've got. Uh, I'm. The only paid advertising we do is uh, for some events. If we want to create some more uh, 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 
uh, yeah, make make the uh, event a bit more visible. We do the uh, uh, we pay um, uh, Facebook to. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the <laughs> of the function, but yeah. you know you could book your your uh, event or a post or something. Yeah, the, the boost uh, functionality or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But but then again, for for us as a local business, uh, and I, I I guess the the algorithms are are changing all the time and all that. But um, uh, in the beginning, it was um, uh, if we got a suggestion from Facebook, you could boost this. Uh, this post and reach out to uh, 725 people and we already had reached out to 1400 and something yeah and since, since we're being a small local business it didn't make a lot of sense of doing big advertisements all over sweden or what have you it's just uh, okay. we want to get to the the people that you know live nearby the brewery and have them come in and i I think we've been fairly successful. Yeah, as I say, so what do you have time to break down the results of those particular posts? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we um, uh, we definitely see. Uh, I mean, it, it's difficult. We don't have a, um, a standard amount of of likes to any post or. Uh, uh, interaction yep. but um, uh, it varies and we've been trying to, to look at the the statistics and and do uh, you know what time uh, during the day are people uh, the most responsive or uh, inclined to to engage with the with the, the posts and uh, looking at um, uh, age groups and and all that mm -hmm. but it's been it's been difficult to find uh, a couple of factors that are so important or crucial that we could base something out of that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, once again a very diverse uh, audience. Of course, we see uh, Facebook as uh, something that maybe older uh, customers are using more Facebook, and younger people are using more Instagram. So if we post something on Instagram mm. in general, we get a, a, a large amount of likes very quick. Uh, whereas the same post on Facebook could take three or four or five days to reach the same amount of interaction. Yes. Yeah. 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 They got a. They got a funny. Facebook's got a really interesting algorithm that um, you have to be very patient with. And yeah. uh, and obviously, if you're paying for advertising, that breaks the algorithm in some way. But it still is, um, yeah. It's very very difficult to actually do things organically. Yes. Um, but when when it comes to advertising, do you have a budget, or do you predominantly you don't like as you said you don't like to boost those posts spontaneously? But you'd have an advertising yeah. budget. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, advertising budget, but um, then we realized that we were never using it. Uh, so what we s started doing then was uh, taking um, that money from the uh, marketing budget and using that on things that would be cool for us to do or uh, items that would be uh, nice for, for us to, to showcase or maybe buy some some extra special ingredients for a particular beer and and, yeah, cool. uh, and 
you know, if, if we can do a, a really interesting uh, different beer and that could, you know, lead to us uh, posting about that beer, the what strange ingredient we used, uh, that could be a part of our marketing budget too. Yeah. Uh, just being innovative or just um, getting uh, free stickers. Um, yeah, so I guess, yes, stickers is uh, one of yeah, okay. those we do have. Yeah, what, what's, the cra- what, what's the craziest ingredient you think you've used? Oh, um, I mean, everything from uh, Gatorade what? to uh, <laughs> hemp seeds. And um, yeah, we, we use a lot of uh, strange, weird uh, ingredients. Um, so, uh, how, how, did, um, how did you get to the hemp seeds? Um, we were uh, just playing around um, we were going to make uh, a smoked beer and our uh, neighborhood is called Möllevongen mm. and uh, we're just joking around with different names and um, one of the guys uh, in the brewery just said um, uh, jokingly Möllevongen like a bong <laughs> yeah, I knew that's where it was going so, oh yeah so that was it so yeah we got to put some hemp in it so it Try to to source uh, like industrial hemp buds, but yeah. uh, because they were out of season, and uh, then we we uh, just managed to to get some uh, some uh, hemp seeds with uh, uh, very 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 low uh, THC levels. But yeah. uh, you know the, the 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 concept was still there and uh, pretty intact, I think. So, uh, so yeah, that was an uh, interesting one. Even with the THC level being low, was it yeah. um, um, was it uh, a beer that gave you a slight buzz? Uh, I mean, if you drank a lot of a uh, lot of it, yeah, sure, yeah. but uh, but not that kind of buzz, uh, just the from the alcohol. It's yeah, uh, of course. Um, but also, uh, hops are the uh, closest uh, relative to cannabis. So uh, really, yeah, they're uh, in the same family and uh, very close. Uh, Relatives. I didn't know that. I've got, so, I got a stack of them growing out the back of my house. Hops. Oh, lots. Be looking at them. Yeah, I'll bring them in. <laughs> no, they. they uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so that's also <laughs> something that um, uh, brewers usually have a lot of fun with. You know, them them being uh, basically cousins, the the cannabis and the, mm. and the hops. Because I mean, without a doubt, I mean, brewery. Brewing beer it is an art form in itself, isn't it? And the variety, um, yeah, the variety is, that you can, uh, sorry, the variety that you can create is just absolutely endless. Oh yes, oh yes, it's uh, there's no um, end to to the ways you can combine uh, raw ingredients, and mm. since we're not um, like with uh, other cultures and other um, like wines and stuff. We were free to put in what we want in, into the beer and create additional flavors. Um, yeah, it's it's a very fascinating um, um, product in that sense. Outside of, of course, it's very yeah. Sorry, uh, no, yeah. no. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah, I just um, uh, say that. Uh, yeah, of course, it's it's very creative, and at the same time. Uh, scientific because there's some fundamental uh, science that you have to be 
uh, aware or take into consideration when you're formulating a recipe or a process. But uh, once you kind of work those into your standard process, that becomes uh, second nature. Then you can focus more on uh, being experimental. Mm. Mm. Outside of Mama Brunco, have you? What is your favorite beer? Your own personal favorite beer that you would go back to on, um, a, on a daily basis? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm I'm a really into uh, to IPAs. I like uh, I like hops. Uh, these days, a lot of people are pooing IPAs, and uh, it's been uh, so popular for. Uh, a uh, long period of time, but I still think it's uh, fascinating. The new hop varieties, there's at least three or four or five new hop varieties coming out every year, being available to, to brewers. Uh, and when I started, it was um, piney, uh, earthy, with some grapefruit. Those were the more extreme uh, hops. Now we have uh, hops that taste of blueberries, coconut, um, shock. Uh, so I think that's in general IPAs and then also like uh, stouts, uh, porters and yeah. Yeah, Belgian beers. <laughs> it's yeah, I don't have a preference really. <laughs> Just like beer. It, yeah. When it comes to making like the different types of hops, are they how are they grown? Are they um, naturally grown? Are they you know? Yeah, the, the ones we use are, uh, yeah, the ones we we're um, using are, uh, for the most part, uh, grown in the northwest of, of uh, the U.S. Yeah. and they're um, um, they do uh, like cross pollinations and they do hundreds and hundreds of, of trials and they yeah. plant those out and uh, just you know hope that out of one hundred uh, uh, experimental varieties, maybe one or two. Uh, will yield something that's interesting and stable for for uh, farming and uh, and uh, for brewers to use. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, they're looking at uh, um, if they're susceptible to different uh, funguses, molds, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but um, there's been, um, uh, I mean. It used to be very common that uh, a lot of uh, breweries back in the days had their own uh, hop farms and all that, but it's been changing to uh, uh, breweries in general and not growing their own hops, but just buying them. Well, I mean, imagine the upkeep on it, you know, to, to manage it and to be patient with it while it grows through season uh, and then paying yeah. for all the testing and things like that, whereas you could just walk in and buy it post all that you wouldn't have to worry it makes perfect sense yeah yeah same with the uh, with the malting uh, most larger breweries were doing their own malt uh, too but then again having uh, that's a completely different uh, company within the company to run so I think as more more uh, breweries streamline their uh, their way of operating I think it just made a lot of sense to have people specialized dealing with that yeah 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 it's an amazing industry it's definitely an amazing industry and, and the, the fact that it's consumed in the masses that it is uh, and that people haven't got bored of it it just keeps evolving like all yeah. the time every That's... time every time you go to the to the 
to the alcohol shop to buy something it's something new oh yeah yeah new is the the new new yeah, yeah for sure i i think i mean people's been drinking beer for uh, a very long time you know there's whether it's been uh, macro beers or uh, before that locally made uh, mm -hmm. beers in their uh, home city or town um yeah, people's always going to be drinking beer. And I think uh, what we're seeing now is, um, I look at it as a part of the uh, food revolution. Uh, you know, when you want to buy bread from your local baker again, instead of the supermarket bread, or mm. get coffee from a local roaster, or locally grown uh, vegetables, or what have you, cheese, and, and so on. I think, I, I look at craft beer as, a part of that movement. Uh, Absolutely, they definitely go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah, I, I, th I think so. It's uh, so I, I think that as long as people are uh, getting more and more into uh, you know being uh, mindful of what kind of products they they purchase, I think there's going to be a, a long, healthy growth for a craft beer. Mm. I just think um, we just have to think of of, of beer as not a commodity, but more like a, a locally a small produced product where you can actually get in touch with the the people making it. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it comes back to that more personal, you know, documenting rather than rather than you know creating you know, way of getting to know your new clientele. Without a doubt, yes. that works. It's the way we look. I mean, with the whole thing of social media and being able to reach out. I mean, we're doing this interview from two different locations. Uh, we've still a, a species of touchy-feely people and we want that experience. So when it comes to you know, your, your um, dining experience, that's no different. You want to accompany that with something that you know, is flexible and you can try something here and try something new with, with another dish or whatever it might be. But it's got to accompany it. And I think that that's probably the best way of going about it, if it makes sense. Oh, yes. I agree. I agree. Uh, 100%. I, I have to ask you a question. One of my favorite beers is an Australian beer, and it's called Cooper's Pale Ale. Yeah. Have you ever tried that? Um, I think I've tried it, but that was maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, or eight, at least. Uh, Cooper's... Uh, also makes those uh, uh, the the brew kits. Mm -hmm. uh, so I some some of the, my early home brews were uh, definitely or uh, made with a uh, malt extract. But uh, yeah. we don't get too much uh, Cooper's beer here in, in Scandinavia. No, never. I, that's the thing. I've never seen it here. I've never seen it. Here. Oh. And it's amazing because when I'm I'm from Sydney and Cooper's is brewed in Adelaide. Um, Yep. And I, I mean, I never liked. Well, I shouldn't say I was never introduced to that beer until I was in my early twenties. I'd always drunk, you know, the standard beer across the tap. But then, when I was introduced to Cooper's Pale Ale, it was game changing for me. I was like, "Wow, that's actually it's a beer that I can interact with," because it's so, it's so, it's just so full of, of flavor. Uh, the way it's brewed in the bottle itself. Um, the method of just the simplicity of of turning and rolling the bottle for the for ten to fifteen seconds and 
how that, how that changes the you know, the flavor of the actual beer, even though it's in the bottle itself, but it just interacts better with the palate. It's amazing. To me, it's, it's crazy. But the other thing that blew my mind was it was 50. Oh, yeah. I mean... Uh, yeah. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, the other thing that, 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 that was nuts about it was the fact that it, in, a, in Sydney, it was a 300 crown... More than that. Yeah, it was about maybe 400 crown uh, per carton, per 24 bottles. But when, you, when I went to Adelaide, it was half the price. And it's domestic, and it was just yeah. because it's locally brewed, it was so much cheaper, and that that blew my mind away. But that was the first craft. That was the first type of craft beer I think I was ever introduced to. Oh, excellent! So um, that holds a special place in your heart. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, without yeah. a doubt. I love it. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's it's uh, like um, uh, Fuller's uh, ESB was one of my early uh, craft beer revelations too. So that's always uh, have a special heart in uh, place in my heart. Mm. I didn't. My wife and I didn't live too far away from the Fuller's um, brewery. Actually, we lived very close to that when we were living Lucky in London. You. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it wasn't too far away. It was only around the corner. But um, have you had many people uh, approach you to export the beer to restaurants and pubs elsewhere yeah, in Europe? Yeah, uh, definitely, and we're. In general, bad at that. Uh, we're trying to get less bad at um, at that thing. Um, our problem has been uh, uh, just the uh, we we don't have enough beer. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but we're we're working on that. So, um, and of course, uh, we try to sell beer to places or send beer export uh, to places we want to go. Mm. Um, since we don't have that much it's not you know a, a big uh, financial benefit for us to, to uh, export uh, small volumes of beer but if we do so we we try to send uh, France or Brussels uh, Belgium or uh, the US and uh, and travel along with the beer and, and do uh, events on those places yeah, yeah. And we're also uh, the downside uh, is that we're also a draft only brewery, so we don't do any uh, bottling. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, difficult for some uh, some uh, people. Yeah, I can imagine that actually, because they're going to want requirements. Oh, okay, how many how many cartons or bottles can you brew? And you sit, and obviously that's not what you do. So, yeah, that that's is there plans in place to actually um, to accommodate that? Um, not really. I mean, uh, we don't have the space. Uh, being located in in uh, the middle of the city, uh, space is just uh, it's difficult. Yeah. So we we try to utilize uh, um, use our uh, space, uh, uh, our tap room as much as possible. So yeah. we're not uh, using a lot of uh, the the space for uh, for production and. and and that part because it just makes more sense to be able to bring more people into the doors and and have them uh, have a you know a, a good seating area or something instead of a, a bottling line. Yeah, yeah. Is, um, is it obviously there's, there's so many factors that go into this, but is timing is just time an issue uh, for getting a lot of these things done? Uh, 
for a bottling? No, for, for bottling, for, for advertising, for uh, for exporting. Is, is What's the main issue for things not happening? Uh, at our place, yeah. it's, um, well, um, the amount of beer we can produce is definitely uh, a, a big factor. Uh, if When we were looking at bottling, for exports, uh, we realized that we would have to cut down on the number of taps we would have in-house okay. uh, in, in order just to keep uh, a couple of the tanks dedicated to the beer we're uh, bottling or exporting. Yeah. So, um, And uh, if you compare the, the price on uh, a bottle of beer with all the work that goes into that, uh, not just the bottling but also uh, just... Uh, um, on the, uh, the the paper trail that follow yeah. every uh, beer bottle, it's a lot of work, and in the end, we couldn't have a competitive price. Uh, it would be a very expensive bottle of beer. Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, so you... we felt that uh, we were, you know, we would need to, to hire more people to handle uh, bottling and all that. And mm. in the end, that just you know came out in red numbers. When we did those uh, comparisons, mm. yeah, I, I was speaking to someone the other day about a winery that's locally here in Scorner, and the wine is by far, uh, it's by far probably 125 crown at best. Um, but after you factor in all the costs, uh, and obviously they did, yeah, the wine was uh, over 310 or 320 crown a bottle. Um, at, at retail and it was just like and it's not and the truth is it's not a 300 crown bottle of wine it's just not you can get a you can get a better Napa Valley you know red uh, for half the price than what they were charging but yeah so I can understand that the the process and the costs involved would uh, would drastically blow out especially when you have to start hiring new people or more people to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, we've we've uh, come to the conclusion that if we're uh, gonna put bottles in the future, it's gonna be either uh, brewed uh, with some of our friends around the country, preferably nearby, uh, um, that we trust and we know, and they could we can go there and we can brew our own beer and uh, bottle it at the, their plant, yeah, uh, or take the big jump and start up a production brewery in a, like an industrial area. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Still keep it in Sweden? Yeah. Uh, in, in that case, I, I think it would make uh, a lot of sense to do that in Sweden. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, we have, we have to have uh, customers for the beer and, uh, it's a tedious job working with uh, sustainable audits where you have to send in, uh, uh, samples and you have to apply for your product to be on the shelves and depending on what they think uh, whether it should be uh, a product that's just going to be available in uh, two or three stores uh, close to the brewery or if it's going to be uh, wide uh, avail uh, availability of that product it's so many different factors to deal with so yeah. uh, you could end up sitting there with thousands of, of bottles of beer and just being allowed to sell it in to uh, uh, sustainable logging stores, then you know yeah, uh, that'd be a nightmare. Yeah, then then you're gonna have to to throw away 
thousands of liters of beer mm. uh, in the end. Do you feel so, that? Do you feel that the the state has um, you know more responsibility to to be to be flexible to allow this industry to grow in Sweden? Um, I I think so. I I think the uh, a lot of the um, uh, things that people are talking about now when they're uh, discussing the uh, uh, sale on premises is the fact that it's going to generate a lot of uh, uh, positive uh, or other businesses being located around, uh, like let's say a, a winery, yeah. uh, because as a winery you have to be located on the countryside where you have access to your grapes and all that. Yeah. So maybe there's a B&B nearby or a restaurant or you uh, s- stop at a cafe somewhere and, yeah. and have coffee or uh, what have you. It's it's. I think that's a big uh, uh, plus if, if uh, it comes to, uh, to that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, where I come from in, in Australia, in Sydney, I mean, there, I'm two hours south of the Hunter Valley in Newcastle in, in a town called Cessnock. Which is right in the middle of um, in the middle of all the wineries, and I mean it is an absolute bustling industry, and that area itself does so much for tourism. There are people responsibly; they will go. There's packages where you can get a bus from Sydney. You get a bus up to Newcastle, so it's two and a half hours. You've got three or four days of going around to all the wineries. You're not you're not buying any more than you would do if you went to the no, bottle no. shop. You're just trying something you like. There's a lot of taste testing involved, um, and you yeah you just purchase what you like. And at the end of the three or four days, you're back on the bus and back home. And yeah. you know it does so much for that community. I could imagine what the unemployment rate would be um, in that area if it wasn't for that industry. And the bed, and the, as you said, and the bed and breakfast, and the, you know, and the the boutique cheese um, shops, and you know, other what, things we call in Australia called knickknacks, which are just little bits and pieces, at different shops yeah. all around the yeah. area that um, just accommodate each other off the back of the the vineyard industry. And now, yeah. actually, now I think it's in the last three or four years, there's two. Um, Whiskey distilleries have opened up there and a couple of breweries are starting to open up as well, which they were never allowed before. It was actually, yeah, the actual wine industry up there had actually said no to it, but now they're being flexible and letting this happen. So, yeah, I think that um, especially Scorner in the middle of summer, as as the weather is beautiful as it is today, it makes perfect sense to have uh, the Austerland area, so to speak, Um, full of beautiful wineries and breweries and things where we could go and spend a weekend oh yeah yeah for sure it's it's um, Sweden's uh, Provence like the the people at Österland call it Um, yeah uh, for sure I mean it it would be very very good to to bring on uh, more tourists and and have them stay for a couple of days instead of just making a a day trip to Sweden we see a lot of uh, tourists coming over from uh, all parts of the world to uh, Copenhagen, for instance, uh, and they usually make a day trip over to Sweden. But if we can uh, have them stay three or four days, if they could go to a winery, eat some good food, and all that, oh, of absolutely. course, they would uh, 
spend more money and and uh, and that uh, would uh, create more jobs and all that. So yeah, I'm I'm with you. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think there's a very positive knock-on effect. I think, but it will take time, obviously. But I think there's a very good, uh, uh, you know, positive thing for the actual for the government itself and for the community. And I do believe that it's uh, it's probably there's a. I mean, I know there's there's a large influx of of hardworking, um, you know, foreigners that are coming into Sweden uh, for the family lifestyle, you know, for the benefits of of what the state offers for families. Um, yeah. But but we also maybe we maybe we are bringing that slow breakdown of the barrier of the traditional way of doing it with us. By question, I think so too, yeah. By questioning the way things are being done. Not that there's anything wrong with the way that they're being done. I know personally, you know, I consume less alcohol in Sweden mm-hmm. than I do, than I did in Australia or in, when we lived in the UK. Yeah. Um, but it's no less accessible. You know, I can still get it. Um, yeah. I just choose not to, you know, drink as much. But, yeah. uh, but look, if there's anything you would change, mm-hmm. uh, if you could start again tomorrow morning, what... Would there, what, what would it be? Is it one thing? Is it many things? Um, well, probably a lot of small things, but uh, I think um, the way we've uh, uh, done our business, uh, starting on a, on a shoes budget and then just uh, constantly growing at a slow, uh, manageable pace, I think... Uh, I think we've we've you know managed to to be uh, quite lucky. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think there's more like little things uh, that would be uh, yeah I want to change. But uh, in the overall, I think we've uh, we've um, we've planned out pretty pretty good. Yeah. What uh, advice more, would more you answer? <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all. I think it's. Well, it proves that you've what you've set out to do, you've achieved it, and that's that's. I mean, it's not rare, but it's rare to have very little things you would like to change. A lot of people I speak to, you know, the first thing they say is, "Where do I start?" Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, there, there. I mean, um, of of course, there's there's always uh, things that you would like, like to, or if you known about them them previously but then again uh, none of us was uh, coming from a, a brewing background yeah. uh, we had very limited uh, knowledge and uh, uh, an experience so I think that yeah of course we made, we made a lot of mistakes but then again I think we uh, either learn to live with them or we fix them uh, quite quickly yeah. So, uh, yeah and what advice would you give to another young business manager or owner that's coming up in your industry or not? Oh, um, well, um, be uh, true to what you believe in uh, because sometimes it's it's very uh, easy to lose focus of your uh, original idea and I think it's uh, different between changing your just uh, adding to it or yeah. just uh, develop it further uh, I know uh, it could be really nerve-wracking at some points uh, running a, a small business so um, uh, remember why you 
uh, why you started that business and yeah. try to keep true to that, even in uh, tougher times. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's great advice. I think it's fantastic advice. Looking forward into the future, what are the plans? We've touched on a few things so far, but what's, yeah. the, what's the big plan for the Malmo Brewing Co.? Yeah, I, I think the biggest plan is to um, uh, get better at, at what we do. We're also going to try to uh, get more beer out from uh, from the brewery in in kegs and hopefully also in, in those uh, tinnies, the, the crawlers. Yeah, uh, tinnies. And depending on, on the um, what's going to happen with the, uh, if there's going to be a law change uh, or not, that's something that a lot of breweries, especially uh, breweries that do have a tap room or uh, some form of uh, on-premise sales, today are just you know not holding their breath and waiting. But uh, everyone's looking at that because that's gonna, if that happens, I think it's gonna change a lot. Maybe we'll invest in a small canning uh, line or something, yeah. and we just you know, have to. We could do the calculations and say that if we remove this part of the seating upstairs, we could fit a small canning line in there or something, and we could do uh, more sales. We could do some, uh, some smaller exports. Uh, so I think that's going to change our uh, our business uh, drastically. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but it all depends. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I, I think that's it's a big decision. It's a very very big decision, yeah. and I know that not only just the the people that are brewing the beer, but you've also got the businesses, you know, um, yeah. they're supplying all the gear as well. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, of course. And I mean, over the years, we've had thousands of, of really good ideas, but once you put them into a spreadsheet and you look at the cost and, you know, you, yeah, it's not, it's not always uh, as great of an idea as you thought so. Yeah. That's yeah. something as a small business, you have to be, uh, mindful of of all the the steps and then um, developing uh, your business, so you don't just make a, a drastic decision and then you find out three months later that it, it's just sinking you as a company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, without a doubt. How can people find you, both online uh, and also obviously? Yeah. We have a web page, uh, malmebrewingcompany.com. So that's Malmo uh, Brewing Company, uh, Malmo Brewing, sorry, uh, dot com. And you could find us at Instagram on uh, at Malmo Brewing and uh, Facebook at uh, Malmo Brewing there too. So yep. And I'll put all the details in the show notes, including the actual address. Thank you, thank you. No, no worries. I, I thank you. I thank you very, very much. It's been a pleasure. Um, it's a shame I couldn't get down there today. I'd love to yeah. have done this next time. Yeah. Next time, absolutely, um, with a beer in hand. But we'll, we'll, we will catch up very soon. I'd like to thank you so much for being on the Remedia podcast today, Thomas. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Mate, not a problem at all. Not a problem at all. And it's, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And we'll catch up very, very thank soon. You. Thank you. All right, take care. See ya. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.